good morning, church. Don't want to ever stop the fellowship when you guys are greeting each other. It's just, it's truly amazing. I really enjoy seeing that. Um, As we get started this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 7, verse 25. If you have your Bibles, you can get there. We'll be there in a minute. Um, But I just want to take this time. Uh, Friday night uh, was my grandson's birthday, and we went there and spent some time with him. But the only thing he was talking about was the fact that he graduated from junior high and was going into high school. That's all he kept saying. He didn't care about his birthday. He was just saying, hey, I'm going into high school. I've graduated junior high. So I just think it'd be fitting that we pray for our graduates. There are so many uh, graduations going on right now, and they're going to happen. So I just want to pray for all of them right now. So if you just uh, bow your heads and pray with me. Um, Father, we just ask that you bless and guide all those who have graduated and all those who will soon to graduate as they reach the end of this school year. And Father, as they chart their new beginnings and this new season in their lives, we just ask that you would please help them to use what they've learned to make the world a better place, to uh, serve the, uh, the poor, to help people that are marginalized and all those who are suffering. And Father, we always ask that they would seek you, to seek the greater good, and keep their eyes always focused on you, Lord. We know that some of them will experience pain and hardships, and we know that some of them have already done that. And we ask that you would just grant them peace and strength. And Father, we ask that you would help them soar on the wings of eagles, that you would make their path straight, any crooked paths, that you would straighten them for them, that you would bless them, that you would protect them on their journey, that you would deal with them kindly and graciously. And Father, may your favor always rest upon them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, good morning. We're in uh, John chapter 7, and the series is called That You May Believe. So when you get there, I just want to tell you a little bit about what's going on in this chapter. Um, This chapter, there's a lot of things happening here. You know, and this shows the many reactions towards Jesus. And it starts with the events that start at this, the Feast of the Tabernacles or the Booths. You know, and it's a very important date in the Jewish calendar. And it would attract many, many visitors to Jerusalem. And in this text, it shows the different religious Jews and what they are confused about Jesus' teachings. They're confused there. So there's three different groups of people, and I want to point those out to you. The first group are the Jewish leaders already at the temple, the Pharisees, the scribes, the chief priests. And these men, their theological ideas were completely different. But they were one thing that they agreed on was they agreed that Jesus was the common enemy. They were all against Jesus. They agreed on their opposition on who Jesus was, and they were determined to get rid of him. Except for one, Nicodemus. We know Nicodemus, he changed. He was the exception. The second group of people are the people who were coming into the city for the festival. And they wouldn't be influenced about from the leaders. They weren't influenced about what was going on because they didn't really know what the gossip was around town. There was gossip going on around Jesus, and they weren't really concerned with that. But these people were people that were on the fence. They hadn't made a decision one way or the other. And Revelations talks about people like that. They call it lukewarm. They're neither hot nor cold. They haven't made a decision about who Jesus was. And then this last group, it narrows down to, Paul. John calls it the Jews that were in the city already. They resided there already. And now this be- debate begins with all the, when Jesus arrives in the city. 
However, there's a new wave of feelings going on because people are questioning what's going on right now. And this ongoing conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders goes ahead and continues. And the people will need to make a choice now on who Jesus is. They need to make a choice to believe who Jesus says he is. Is he the Messiah or is he not? And that's today's title of the teaching is Choose to Believe. Because that's what they need to do. So if you have your Bibles, open to John chapter 7, verse 25. And it says this. John chapter 7, verse 25. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from, where the Messiah comes from, and no one knows where he is from. The crowds are seeing this ability of Jesus to speak openly with authority. And it made them think, do these religious leaders maybe know something different about who Jesus is? Is Jesus the Messiah? Could a little bit of faith be springing up? Could this be faith blossoming up in them, starting to grow? Otherwise, they would have done something to keep him from speaking, right? But they're allowing him to speak so freely. And the word there, it says that concludes, or they believe, shows that there's a question about what these religious leaders think. Maybe they recognize that he was the Messiah. And then the other people are asking, but isn't this the man they're trying to kill? They knew that they attempted to kill him, but here he is speaking boldly. And they thought, they concluded, that something has changed with these leaders. But that wasn't so. That's not what was going on here because the leaders were in the dark. They didn't even know Jesus was there. They didn't know that he was there. They were unaware of it. Rather than going out publicly and Jesus coming publicly, he chose to arrive privately unannounced. Nobody knew it. He arrived after his family. And the rulers didn't even know Jesus was there. Not knowing that he was in town, they weren't prepared for Jesus coming. And my question for all of us, are we prepared for Jesus? Are we prepared for Jesus now and for the second coming? In 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, it says this, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. Are you prepared? Have you chose to believe who Jesus is and receive him into your life? The key element of Jesus' comparison to when he returns again is like a thief that catches a household by surprise. Jesus will catch the unbelieving world by surprise when he returns and the point here was that these Jewish leaders were in the dark. They didn't know who Jesus was. And for us today, we need to know who Jesus is. We need to have that personal relationship with him. Choose to believe who he is. As believers, we don't fear that swift and sudden judgment, do we? Because the thief in the night will not catch us by surprise. We're in a separate category. 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 says, But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the darkness, 
so that this day should surprise, should not surprise you like a thief. It's only those who choose not to believe and come into the light. We're children of God. We have chosen to come into the light. We live in the day. We do not belong to the night. So being prepared to believe who Jesus is, his coming, turning away from sin, turning to God in our faith, believing and receiving who Jesus is. He's our Lord and our Savior. The first point I'd like to make is this. Choose to believe and be prepared. Choose to believe who Jesus is and be prepared because heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. And we need to be prepared and we will go to heaven. Now the crowd kept on arguing who Jesus was. They were amazed at how he taught because Jesus didn't have all these credentials. He didn't go to Rabbi U or any of that. He didn't have the credentials that all these other rabbis had. They were teaching all these things. But Jesus' teachings, they thought, were just opinions. They're just opinions and they weren't worth very much. But the truth is that Jesus taught with authority while the scribes and the Pharisees taught from authority. They taught from the famous rabbis that they had heard. Remember, Jesus is the word. He is the word of God. He knew what it was. He was the authority. Now we have to believe either Jesus is who he says he is or he's not. We all must be prepared to make a choice about who Jesus is, knowing that whatever we decide will have eternal consequences. So you have to make a decision and be prepared. In verse 27, it says this, but we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he's from. People were amazed at Jesus' boldness in his speaking, but they soon changed their minds, however, because they remembered that he was from Galilee. And what do they say? Nothing good comes from Galilee. And what they said? So how could he be this? Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But they always believed and they were taught that Messiah would just suddenly appear, that he would just be there. And that no one would know where the Messiah's origin came from. In Malachi 3, 1, it says this, Look, I'm sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way for me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to this temple. This scripture made them think that the Messiah would just appear out of nowhere and suddenly be there. And they're thinking, this can't be the Messiah because we know Jesus' parents. We know where they came from. And we know his earthly origin. So he can't be. He falls short of the requirements for this. And they're like, this Jesus, isn't he the carpenter? Isn't he that kid that got lost and the parents found him in the temple? How can he be our Messiah? How can he do that? So they just wouldn't believe because of that. The crowns found it difficult to believe because he didn't meet the requirements that he had and he just couldn't be the Messiah. Remember, they just thought he was going to appear out of nowhere. You know, a few years back, I went to um, my high school reunion. I was trying to save face and say it was like 30, but it was actually my 40th. So that kind of shows you I'm, I'm a little bit older. But I go in there and the guys I used to hang out with, you know, and it probably wasn't the best crowd, but he says, so we hear you're a pastor now. Yep. Yeah. I am. And they were like, 
They're like, you, you can't be a pastor. I am. New creation in Christ. This is what he's done for me. But they're like, yeah, but we, we, we know where you're from, Craig. We know, we know what you did. We know all that. I get it. But what they were doing is they were looking at my outward character. They were looking at what they thought they knew about me. And in Matthew 7, 1, it says this, Do not judge or you'll be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So don't look at only the outward appearance of people because it can be deceiving. People are not always what they seem. And I heard this said once, and I, I really liked it. And it says this, Be careful about judging others. Either they're a hypocrite or you are. And that's what we say about church when they say, oh, there's a bunch of hypocrites. Come on in. There's room for one more. <laughs> I mean, bring it on in. So, you know, at this point, these people had to make a decision on who Jesus was. Just like today, we have to make that decision. In verse 28, it says, Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from. I'm not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. Now, we're not sure what got Jesus' attention there, but he's Jesus. He's God. So he had got something, got his attention, and he cried out. This elevated voice of his implies that there was something going on, very intense feelings for Jesus. And he's crying out, you guys don't know me. You're an heir of your judgment of me. People think they do, but they don't. And it may have been a little sarcastic because sometimes Jesus could be that way, right? If you ever asked Jesus a question, what was he going to do? He wasn't going to answer it. He was going to ask you a question. He was going to come back at you. But he was saying, you guys are unaware of my heavenly origin. You don't know where I'm from. His feelings were aroused because of that, because they were only looking at his outward appearance, not on who he was. Jesus was not confused about who he was. And Jesus would later point out to the people who he was that he wasn't normally, he wasn't only from Galilee, but he was from heaven. He was sent from heaven by God. People were impressed by his teachings they, because of his boldness when he taught and his authority. But the one thing about Jesus that he didn't do, he did not bring glory onto himself. He was not teaching for his benefit. He was teaching to bring glory to God, the one who sent him. In Matthew 8, verse, uh, excuse me, Matthew 5, verse 16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Our purpose is to bring honor and glory to God. That's why we're here. It's not about us. It's to empty us of ourselves so that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can shine a light bright shining light into our communities for Jesus Christ, his glory. But when he said that, they didn't like that. They didn't like that they said that he didn't know God. This provoked them. So they were unable to argue with him, so what did they do? Decided to have violence against him. It's kind of like a restaurant and all these places when they can't compete with somebody, what do they do? They buy him out, they try to take him out. So they're trying to take Jesus out. And in verse 30 it says, at this, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. 
Jesus had used those words himself at the very first miracle that he performed at the wedding, right? He told his mother in John 2, 4, Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. And the disciples knew this as well, that Jesus' hour had not yet come for him to be glorified to the Father. And again, when they came up to the temple in John 7, 6, it says, Therefore Jesus told them, My time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. Do you like that? For you, and that goes for all of us. Our time to glorify God is any time. Any time that we have the opportunity to tell people about Jesus Christ and what he's done in our lives, that's our time. To shine our light and be a bright shining light for the glory of God. Until that time, no one was going to be able to lay a hand on Jesus. And Jesus would later say in John 12, 23, he said this, Now this time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. And God, Jesus knew every day of his life. And he knows each and every day of our lives as well. King David said it this, when it comes to God's role, it said in Psalms 139, it says, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knows every day of our lives and everything about us, the good and the bad. That's why the promise in Romans 8.28 that says that God works all things for our good is so reassuring because he knows each and every day of our lives. That means no matter what the circumstances, God is always working them out for our good, always. Sometimes we don't see that. We don't understand why God's doing this. And I've asked God many a times, Father, I don't understand why you're doing this. And all he tells me, I, get, I call it a spiritual smackdown because I get that smackdown. He says, Craig, I don't need you to understand. All I need you to do is believe in me. I need you to trust in me that what I'm doing is for your good. So I take that and I do that. I believe in him. For those who are called according to his purpose. And remember, God's timing is always perfect. Always. Even when we don't believe it's perfect, it always is. Putting our trust in God, no matter what we feel that day or how we're doing it, we need to love God. Loving God means to be in Christ. And that's what each one of us needs to do. That's our purpose. And that's why Jesus is saying, I have not fulfilled my God-given purpose. My hour has not come. His purpose was to die on the cross for all the lost so that we can be reconciled with the Father and spend eternity with him in heaven. But we have a choice. We have to choose to believe he is who he says he is. And Jesus says, my time has not come, but I will glorify my heavenly Father when I go to that cross. And then in verse 31, it says, as still many in the crowds believed in him, they said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? Now it shows, this verse shows they had some faith. There's some faith going on here. But they're like, is he the true Messiah? Because this other, we're, we're looking at all the stuff that he's doing. We want to show, right? We're looking for the show. They're looking for that wow factor because Jesus performs all these miracles, but eh, I'm starting to get it. But there's going to be somebody that's going to do a whole lot more, right? And they believe that. They give him credit as being a great prophet from God. But they said they still look for the Messiah to come. 
Jesus had given them so much evidence of who he was when he worked these miracles. And this verse shows that some people follow the evidence. They see what's going on and they make their decision based on that, exactly where it leads. And John uses the word signs in reference to the miracles that Jesus performed because he proved himself through those miracles. Yet Jesus convinced many that he was the Messiah, but they didn't have the courage or the faith to choose to believe. They just didn't have it yet. Some looked at his miracles like Nicodemus and they chose to believe, but it wasn't enough to prove who he was. Is Jesus enough for you today? Is he enough to prove to you who he is, who he says he is? And then in verse 32, it says, The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent the temple guards to arrest him. Jesus' actions had already caused these leaders problems. He was already causing them problems because he's preaching out in the public. They're like, "Uh uh-oh, something's going on. His teachings made people curious and they couldn't have that. We can't have that. And the Pharisees, the only thing they're thinking about is one thing, we're losing our power. We're losing our authority over what's going on. We have had this authority and this power for so long. And then now here comes this man, Jesus. He's speaking the truth. Oh, we can't have that. And why? It was because of their pride. Their pride was rearing up. You know, we call it the three P's, pride, power, position. Those three P's can cause a lot of problems in our lives, can't they? When we think that our position is more important than someone else's, when the position of God at the right hand of the Father, Jesus at the right hand of the Father, that's what's important. That's the position. And now they're starting to see people's faith starting to spread. And what are they going to do? They're going to stop it. It's time to stop this because we can't let this go on. And they were going to send a group to arrest him. The next point I'd like to make is this. As the kingdom of God increases, our enemies' attacks increase as well. As we advance the kingdom of God, the enemy doesn't stop. He advances as well. He's going to try to stop us at every point. And that's what exactly was happening here. And then in verse 33, it says, Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time. And then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. These statements by Jesus, people were struggling to understand them. There was confusion over these remarks. They just didn't get what Jesus was saying. When Jesus spoke, you had to listen closely. Even the the disciples, they had problems sometimes listening and hearing what he was saying because Jesus was talking spiritual. There were spiritual things and they didn't understand them. Jesus liked to talk in parables. And a parable is simply an story or an illustration about a spiritual lesson. Jesus used them in the Gospels a lot. But people didn't understand them. You know, Jesus, as he was getting close to his end of his ministry, remember it was only six months away that he would go to the cross. He started speaking more about this. And these people were listening, but they were having a hard time. But it was time for them to make a choice. It was time for them to make a decision, just like us today. 
We have to make a choice today on who Jesus is because today is the day of salvation and we all have limited time as well. Tomorrow is never promised to us, is it? Never. It never is. But not everyone chooses to believe who Jesus is. And in verse 35, it says this, the Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will we go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did, he, what did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me and I am not, and where I am, you cannot come. Again, the people misunderstood what Jesus was saying. He was talking spiritual and they could not understand it. He was talking about his ascension to heaven when he would glorify the father and he would go to heaven. They thought he was talking something completely different. They were confused. They were hearing one thing, but they were confused on what they were hearing. They were blinded to the meaning of what he was saying, his words. And they thought he was planning to go to preach to the Gentiles, and we all know that Paul did that. I'll tell you a quick story. Um, there's a story of these two ladies that lived together, and one summer evening they were um, on their front porch and they were just uh, enjoying a peaceful evening and it was a quiet scene and one of the women was listening to the sound of the church choir which was a few day, a few doors down as they practiced and she said, you know, that is such a beautiful sound and the other woman was listening to the sound of the crickets chirping and the woman listening to the choir said, isn't that a lovely sound? And the woman listening to the crickets replied, yes. And I understand they do it by rubbing their legs together. <laughs> Sometimes confusion can be humorous, but at other times it can be disastrous. That's especially true when it comes to spiritual matters. It's kind of funny when someone is confused about a church choir making music by rubbing their legs together, but it's really tragic when someone is confused about Jesus and they reject him and who he is. And then in verse 37, it says this, On the last and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who thirsts, is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him would later to receive. Up to this time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus has not been glorified. You know, this is a very fitting climax to the end of this feast that they had going on, this festival. Jesus is offering to satisfy everyone. He's offering to satisfy their spiritual needs, not just their physical needs, but their spiritual needs. And what Jesus says has great importance. And the importance is where he said it, and when he said it, where he said it was right outside the temple, right outside. And when he said it, he said it on the last day of this festival. On the last day of this festival, there was no water. As we look at this festival, what they did, the priests and they would bring up this water and they would pour it out each day and there would be water poured out. But on this last day, there's no water. There's nothing there. This celebration was to show how God had provided water for his children in the wilderness on their way to Canaan. 
And Jesus, at this festival, he, this is the last time he's going to speak before his crucifixion. He's going to say this on the last day. It was probably meant to show the contrast of where they were. And he says this, there's no water being poured out today. And this claim that Jesus makes makes it even more impressive because he's saying this, this temple where you're at, this festival that you all love, there's no water today for you. There's nothing for you today. But what he says is, I have what you're looking for. Jesus has what we're looking for. Jesus boldly called people to himself to drink and satisfy their deepest thirst, their spiritual thirst. And it says, let anyone, this invitation to let anyone, that means salvation is for everyone, all people. This invitation did not have any limitations on who could come and drink. This invitation was narrow because it said, if anyone who is thirsty. We have to realize our need for Jesus Christ in our lives. We have to understand that and we have to thirst for Jesus each and every day. Thirst is nothing by itself, but being thirsty means that we are empty and we are needy. It's a lack of something in our lives. And that emptiness that we have and we cry out, Jesus is at work in giving us a life-changing thing. He's giving us that living water. And then he's saying that then when I return home to my Father, I will send the Holy Spirit. And then when he sends the Holy Spirit, he explains what this metaphor means about drinking, to put our faith in Jesus Christ, to trust him, to rely on him always, no matter what's going on. We rely and trust in Jesus Christ in our lives now until eternity. And at this point, some chose to believe some were confused, and some were opposed. The date of this great saying was very carefully given by Jesus. And there's no coincidences with God, right? There's none. Nothing happens by accident. He knows each and every day of our lives. And it throws a very lot good light on the significance and the importance of what he's saying. For those who choose to believe in him, Jesus will offer this perpetual river of living water, but they also looked at the prophecies that were said and which these prophecies said that water would come flowing from a throne from Jerusalem where the Messiah would be enthroned. And Jesus is saying this, put your loving trust in me and throne me in your heart and life and abundance will flow out of you. Jesus did not only speak about the living water coming into us, but he spoke about the water going out as well. It's a blessing for us to receive, but it's a blessing for us to give it out. It's a blessing that we become the source of living water for other people. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us and that outflowing of that spirit flows onto other people, when we tell who Jesus Christ is in our lives. It's not a blessing that we keep to ourselves. It's a blessing that we share because the Holy Spirit is to be shared. It's a source of blessing to others. This outflowing life, this abundance comes through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives to all those who choose to believe who the Holy Spirit is, who Jesus is. And this experience belongs to believers. Now, a lot of us, it may be different. This experience may be different. 
The giving of the Holy Spirit is different in each and every person's life. But that drawing of that water, that pouring of the Holy Spirit into us, when Jesus glorified himself on the cross for his Father and through his resurrection, everyone who trusts in Jesus and knows that deep thirst, he claims to be able to do that for us now and from all eternity for those who put their trust in Jesus and know their deep thirsts. Jesus says, I come to satisfy every desire of every soul to the very end of time. And Jesus stood in that temple and he cried these words because he knows that he himself adequately fills the needs of all believers, all of our needs. He satisfies our thirsts. Everyone that had thirst, they came and drank from the waters. And Jesus is saying, here you go at this temple. There's no more water. You don't need that water. What he's saying is, there's no water here, but come to me. I will satisfy your first thirst. Jesus used the terms rivers of living water to indicate eternal life. He refers to the Holy Spirit. And when we accept the Holy Spirit, he brings us eternal life, a spirit-filled life. When we choose to believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and our lives become Christ-centered, that's where the outflowing of the Holy Spirit is. That's when the joy and the blessings come. And then in verse 40, it says, On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is a prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others asked, How can Messiah come from Galilee? Do not, does not the Scripture say, that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived. Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted him to seize him and others, but no one laid a hand on him. Some people were saying one thing and others were saying another. People are still divided over Jesus today. And Jesus said that this would happen. He told us that it would happen. Everybody has an opinion on who Jesus is. One thing is that Jesus divided people with the truth. The truth divides us. And Jesus unites us. The Holy Spirit unites us. People had one of two opinions of him. They either were for him or against him. They either chose to receive the Holy Spirit or they didn't. Be careful not to jump to the wrong conclusions when we search for God's truth. Carefully look at God's word. They were confronted with who Jesus was and they had an option to choose or not to choose or to be neutral. And if you're neutral, you're against. And last in verse 45 says, finally the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. The officer, these temple guards did not pick him up because of the way he spoke. Jesus' arrest was not unsuccessful because of that, but it was because it wasn't his time. It wasn't his time. They weren't incompetent. It's because the time wasn't right. And it's impossible for Jesus to be stopped. Our Lord can't be stopped. He's unstoppable. And it's only when his will and his timing, and remember God's timing, he's never late. He's never early. His timing is always perfect. Even when we doubt it, it's always perfect. In verse 46, no one ever spoke this way 
uh, the way this man does, the guards replied, because Jesus spoke with authority. Remember, Jesus was the word of God. He had the authority to speak that way. And then verse 47, it says, you mean he deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted, have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knowing nothing of the law, there is a curse on him. They were making fun of him. They were making fun of them. The leaders saw them as an elite, themselves as this elite group and they were not going to allow Jesus to advance. If, they, if anyone disagreed with them, they were against them. So they were against him. And then in verse 50, we see Nicodemus who says, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? In 52, they replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you'll find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. They were making fun of him. They were making fun of his belief in Jesus. Nicodemus was a secret believer and he confronted them on their own laws. And he said, guys, you're losing ground. You're losing grounds. They were hypocrites and they were confused. Their pride would interfere with their ability to reason on what was right and what was wrong. And today, I'm going to ask the band to come up. There are many that are confused on their opinions about who Jesus is. And while there were many confused opinions, your eternal destiny depends on the decision that you make on whether you believe that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior. And you have the opportunity to receive him today. We all must be prepared. We need to choose and believe and be prepared and have the courage and the faith to believe in who Jesus is. I have a question. Are you thirsty? Do you have an emptiness inside of you that needs to be filled? Do you need to make a choice about Jesus today? Well, your eternal destiny depends on believing in Jesus today while you still have an opportunity to do so. Today, this living water that Jesus offers is available to all of us. And for some of us, we just need to take a fresh drink today. And for others, it may be your first drink. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer and I'll encourage you to drink deeply of that living water so that you can believe and receive Jesus Christ into your life and that you can have the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through you and out of you into your community, letting your light shine bright for Jesus Christ. So drink deeply today. Just like Jesus said, when you drink of these living waters, you will never thirst again. All your needs will be met. Will you pray with me? Bow your heads. Father, we just thank you for each and every day. And Father, we know that we're a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins on the cross and that you rose from the dead. And I repent from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and into my life. I want to trust you and follow you all the days of my life. I want to drink of this living water so that I will never thirst again. 
that I spend eternity with you, all my needs fulfilled through my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for this living water.